Welcome to The Inside. As Hollywood finished up award season this week, all eyes now turn to the year ahead. Following the record-breaking success of Avatar The Way of Water, hopes are high that 2023 can gain and maintain momentum from a steady stream of new hit movies for hungry fans. Today, we'll look at movies coming to theaters near you and discuss how the box office can get back to consistently healthy pre-pandemic numbers. I am Jim Chabin in Los Angeles, and with me is Wim Byans. He serves as CEO of Cineonic, and he joins us live from Brussels, Belgium, where it's evening. Good evening, Wim. Hey, good morning, Jim. Good to hear you. Wim, there was a there was a real interesting article from the New York Times, uh, Brooks Barnes, who's their entertainment reporter, and uh, the headline is, Heads Up, A Better Movie uh, Seat May Cost You, but it says, Increasingly, theaters have been pushing customers toward premium price specialty tickets. On Saturday evening at AMC Lincoln Square in New York, for instance, patrons interested in the boxing drama Creed Three could choose from three IMAX screenings for a 7 to $10 surcharge, depending on the seat location, and reclining chairs, 8 to $12 more than the standard ticket, and then two standard screenings, $18 for a regular adult ticket. What does that say to you about what the cinema industry is doing in trying to move into 2023? Well, I think diversification would be the, the thing that comes to mind, right? I think people are experimenting, and I think that's good. They're looking at other industries, seeing how you know variable pricing can work out. I think it is at the beginning. Uh, we need to see how the audiences respond to that. But I think that if there is a different experience to be half, and there is then a different price point, then I think that's fair. And the audience will right. tell us, right? So I think right. it's good that, that people are trying it out and see how far this can work within our industry. One of the most interesting insiders this past year was Tim Richards, who is CEO of View Cinemas and chair of the British Film Institute. At the time we spoke with him, we asked him about the lower box office last year and the need for films to get fans back to cinemas. And here's what Tim uh, told us. I mean, it's it's not a coincidence that, I mean, Comscore reported that we're 36.5% fewer films released this year than 2019. And, you know, box office is down 30%. I mean, it, it's a pretty pretty clear correlation there. But But I think that is going to change. I think Tim's point is we need more movies That's uh, right. to fill our, our cinemas. So as we look ahead at 2023 in the next few months, we wanted to check in with our favorite box office expert to see how we'll meet Tim's expectations. Our guest for today's discussion is Paul Dergaradbedian. He's a senior media analyst for Comscore and advises clients from Hollywood to Wall Street. Welcome, Paul. Great to be here. Thank you so much. And I love uh, what Tim Richards said with the shout out. I know him well. What a tremendous executive and, and booster of our industry and just a, a great guy all around. Well, it's great to have you here again. You heard Tim Richards mentioning Comscore. How would you respond to that? Do you see a wider range of movie fans coming back to the theaters this year? Definitely a wider range of fans uh, and certainly upcoming on the slate are about 30 more films, wide release films. Then in 2022, that's good news for theaters. And we're going to see with 30 more films, I mean, you can imagine having 41 fewer wide release films than in the pre-pandemic era is just astounding. That's a staggering number of films, fewer films in the marketplace. If each of those, and I'm just throwing out a number, each of those films made $50 million, that's $2 billion in domestic box office 
So yes, there, there definitely a lack of movies last year, even though we got to 7.538 billion was great, but this year is gonna be much better, a much more diverse slate, more movies, more often is my watchword for the year. Wonderful. Well, tell us about Creed. How did it do this weekend and what can we learn from the box office? Well, Creed just was an astounding success. $58.4 million domestically, over $100 million worldwide in its debut. Michael B. Jordan's directorial debut. But Creed 3 shows us that it's not just about superheroes, even though a superhero movie was in the second spot. And I think that the marketing was great for the film. It's the biggest opening for the Creed franchise. And that just says to me that they did a great job of not only creating an awesome film that people really enjoy, but they made it become part of the zeitgeist that you had to go and see Creed 3. And then the IMAX component as well. And you were talking about, you know, ticket prices, so many different formats for this film. And the IMAX component was a big deal. It, It eventized for lack of a better way to say it, that movie. And uh, I think we're going to see strong holdover strength from that film as well. So this is interesting because Creed was made by MGM, which is owned by Amazon. That's right. Right? That's right. This is a precedent for Amazon and their first taste of real box office cash. They have to look at these numbers and say, there's an enormous amount of money to be made at the box office and we're getting a lot of press what do you think Amazon sees when they, they see this? I think it's great. I think they're seeing that, hey, wait a second, uh, this theatrical component is incredibly important, viable, and essential for their business. And I think this is just an outgrowth of what has happened during the pandemic, that formerly we would have thought, oh, the, these two entities, big screen and small screen, won't really want to work together, not on this level. And yet uh, a sort of snake and mongoose (laughs) situation has turned into a collaboration and a, a, uh, you know, strategic partnership that I think is bearing fruit and will continue to. But there's no better way to prove the power of the box office than for a company like Amazon through MGM to see the power that uh, theatrical release can bring, both in terms of the culture and certainly in terms of the revenues that can be generated. Many refer to box office as the leading indicator of healthy cinema business. Yet we both know there are many variables that go into theatrical business. What are the measures and indicators do you watch for to get a broader sense on how movie business is doing? When that's a great question because we just look at box office generally because there seems to be, and it's obvious, a one-to-one correlation between if a movie opens to 100 million, or the business is at a billion dollars, which we hit a billion dollars domestically back on Feb 24 of this year. Last year, we didn't hit a billion dollars in box office till March 11. So we're not even, you know, it it took much longer to get to a billion. That's how I kind of look at the strength of the box office is where are we versus the previous year? Not versus 2019, because that's a different animal, but versus last year. And I just, uh, there's two things for me. It's the number of movies, and that's obvious, more movies, more wide release movies, the more potential box office that's out there, and then straight up box office. I mean, it really tells you everything you need to know. If you go to a a sporting event and the seats are empty, well, I guess people didn't want to go. And same thing is true for the movie theater. But if if you're filling seats the way Creed 3 did and Cocaine Bear the week before and Ant-Man the week before that, it it really tells you that whatever the strategy is right now is indeed working. And that's the the best news for movie theater owners and the studios as well. 
Well, let's talk about March. You mentioned that. The press is calling the next 30 days March Madness because of the many films coming out. There are four sequels hitting theaters. We've got Creed, which is out this weekend, Scream 6, Shazam, Furry of the Gods, and John Wick Chapter 4. How does the sequel have an advantage in ticket sales like this? And can all of these titles do well? They're so, they're, it's, it's a movie every single weekend for March, which we love, but tell us about that. Well, that's a, a great point. And Jim, it's, it's pretty incredible to have a March that feels more like summer. This really feels like May, not March. And it is March movie madness for sure. Now, the big question is, will the marketplace expand to accommodate all these films? Or is there a finite number of tickets to be sold within the framework of this month? And I think it's it's going to expand. We've seen that people are really enjoying a, a diverse array of films in the marketplace this past weekend. Remember, Cocaine Bears is out there still making its mark. Jesus Revolution, you know, Demon Slayer, the anime film. So I think it's about diversity of content, meaning something for everyone. But this is a great tee up for April and then the summer movie season, which gets started officially the first weekend in May. Tim Richards talked about the range of movies. So you see films that are all four quadrants, as they say at the studios. I mean, it looks, I mean, when you look at this schedule, it's incredible. I mean, to go from just in, in March, as we talked about scream six to Shazam to John wick to dungeons and dragons, then we go into April with Super Mario Brothers, and then Guardians of the Galaxy. I mean, I could keep going. Fast X. And then, of course, my the movie I'm looking out for the most is Oppenheimer. But also to have Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. And then you have something like Barbie, which looks very interesting. Part of this, too, is how is social media responded? So what's going on in terms of Twitter? You can gauge audience excitement that way. I wouldn't put all my eggs in that one basket to get a sense of what movies are popular. But if you look at what's going on on social media and which films have the buzz, that tells you a lot as well. What are people talking about? What are they excited about for the movie theater experience, which movies are really speaking to them at this point? What goals should the movie industry be setting to get back on track? I think it's just what they're doing. Commit to the slate. Have a great slate of films. They're out there. The disruption that the pandemic caused to production schedules was still being felt on the release calendar in 2022. 2023, I'm not saying we're going to get to those $11 billion domestic and $40 billion worldwide overall year numbers, but I couldn't imagine a better scenario, Jim and Wim, for this year for movie theaters. You know, the ebb and flow will still be there. That's part, the box office gods decide ultimately what's going to happen, but I think we're looking at a great year for theaters. Paul, Adam Aaron of AMC just told investors on an earnings call that he thinks that 30 movies could cross over $100 million this year. In 2022, only 18 million did that. How do you respond to his position? Well, I, I hope. <laughs> I mean, I think it's uh, everybody wants those $100 million movies, although I think it's really also about the global box office that's really important. Last year, China's box office suffered a bit because it was mostly built on local titles, which do extraordinarily well there. But now we're seeing a bit of an opening up, a bit of cinematic detente going on where I think we're going to have more films open in China, but also just in every other country around the world. But to me, it's not just about the numbers, believe it or not. It's also about how do people feel about going to the movies? 
And what big box office does, though, it puts a spotlight on movies. And even if that isn't the focus of a reader or a viewer or somebody who is not in the industry, it really puts the movie industry on the map for them. Sort of like having the Academy Awards every day if you have a big box office hit every week because it just raises the profile of the movie theater experience and also makes people realize, hey, it didn't go away. It didn't die because of streaming. And that's really important. To me, it's the emotional side that's almost as, I mean, obviously it's show business, got to make money, the films have to make money. But really that, that emotional part of it where people go, yeah, the movies are great. Let's just keep the momentum going because it's a momentum business, but it's an emotional business as well. So if you love movies and love the movie theater, it's great to have big hits all year long. The international box office, you mentioned it, Avatar and Top Gun did 70% and 50% of their respective grosses in the international markets. Avatar grossed almost $250 million in China, and Top Gun did not see a release in that market. How do you see the international box office playing out in 2023? Do you think the current tensions with China will relax a little bit as we move into the year, or do you think that's going to be a constant concern? Yeah, I think the China part of that will be a, a constant concern because it's so dynamic and ever-changing. But I think this year we'll we'll see... So, for for example, in our Comscore data, 2022, 26 billion global box office as compared to 2021, earned about 21 and a half billion versus in 2022, 26 billion. I think we're going to see a much better result this year. The international alone in 22 was 18 and a half billion. We're certainly going to be well above that. And I think Avatar kind of paved the way for that. When they announced that Avatar would play in China, then Black Panther would kind of forever able to play there. But I think we're going to see more of that, like I say, the cinematic detente going on between the countries. And that's a good thing for the movies and for the industry as a whole. Who would you say, Paul, this year would be doing as good as Top Gun and Avatar did last year? And why? Well, let's, you know, let's take a look at Tom Cruise. I mean, I, I think he's going to, he's going to repeat uh, a, a really strong showing. And there. I don't think there was any better warm-up for a movie than Top Gun has been for Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. I mean, we never know what the sleepers are, but to me, when you look at, you know, there's going to be an Aquaman movie and a Hunger Games movie and, and certainly Wonka and Barbie, but for me, the, the really, the big hits to look out for are something like Mission Impossible movie and Indiana Jones, those big brands. Dune Part 2 is coming out this year and so many other great films, but we've already had some great hits out there. And I like the fact, going back real quick to Cocaine Bear, and that's a movie that nobody saw coming, and Jesus Revolution as well, two very different movies. So it's not just about those home runs, but those doubles and triples that I think will supply the foundation for what will be a much better box office than last year. Every area of entertainment has seen a content boom over the last few years. Obviously, the cinema area has been down, uh, as we've discussed here. But how do you see all of this, all these media companies and their content spend continuing? Are they going to be able to keep up with the demand for content, both on their streaming services and cinemas? Well, you know, the real winner in all this, Jim, is the content providers or the creatives. Because if if we were talking 20 years ago, if you were a filmmaker and you wanted your film to be seen by a lot of people... You had to get a theatrical release, very expensive. 
today there's so many avenues, so many platforms. And by the way, people who love watching content at home also love going to the movies. And so, Jim, I, I don't know. I, it's sort of the Wild West out there. When, um, when you hear Paul's report, how are you feeling? I feel good, you know. You know, I had the opportunity. I saw a couple of movies just want, want to mention, right? I saw Close, for instance, right? He's also nominated as a foreign movie here on, on the Oscars there. And then, you know, seeing another one like The Fable Months, right? Uh, which I, I really enjoyed because it was really, you can call it the traditional movie, but a really movie when you see it, the shots were perfect. Of course, Spielberg done one hell of a job, I believe. But afterwards, we left the movie and we said, that's something to to remember, something to talk about kind of thing. So I think that the, the breadth of the movies is much broader than before, uh, specials than last year. And I feel that's, that's good. I think we have a great potential to bring broader audiences back to the theater, which I think should be our priority number one. And Wim, I, I like what you said about the Fablemans, and I feel the same way about Babylon, which was not for everyone, didn't earn as much box office as many had hoped, same with Fablemans. But still, what a great, for you and for me with Babylon, those being very moving experiences and notable film-going experiences, that's worth its weight in gold, at least to us. And uh, it's really interesting that those movies about filmmaking that honor either the golden age of filmmaking or Spielberg's uh, experience growing up, let's keep making those too. And then those big blockbusters will hopefully subsidize the making of more of those films. Absolutely. Paul, you always make us smarter when you come on. We can't thank you enough. It's It's been great to have you. So uh, thank you so much for being with us. You make me smarter because you ask the best questions and I really appreciate it. Jim and Wim, you guys are awesome. So I look forward to seeing you at the movies. Thank you, Paul. We want to remind everybody that The Insider Show is made possible through the generous support of Cineonic, providing future-ready technical solutions to theaters. With more than 100,000 projectors installed, Cineonic now illuminates more than half of the world's cinemas every day. Visit Cineonic.com. Wim, I am intrigued with what Paul was saying about the movies will either cannibalize each other, we've got a lot of good movies out this year, or can they expand the audience? And when you listen to the variety of titles that Paul gave us, I feel as if we have a real opportunity to expand the audience of people coming to cinemas. What was your take in, in hearing that? No, 100%. You know, I would say that that last year was the year that everybody believed that cinema is back kind of thing, right? So the theatrical window is, is there and, and cinema is back. This year will be really the proof point about, I think, twofold. The amount of titles is growing, right? I think that is substantial, but also the diversity in the different types of title. You know, when, when he starts talking about the different titles which are coming out, all of them create remembrance to people, right? So, so, so in that sense, I think that we have really a chance to have, you know, more titles, which we need to, but also have good titles. And, and that, that combination is going to really prove a very special year this year. And I think we, we all need it as an industry. So I'm really looking forward. Well, in the several conversations that we've had, we've asked our insider guests about what priorities they had for the success of the industry this year. And we thought we'd share a few of those. The first point was made by one of our guests who said that we need to demonstrate the value of seeing a movie in a comfortable, superb cinema, as opposed to staying home and watching it on a flat screen. 
Last year, we spoke to James Gray, the director of so many great films, including this year's Armageddon Time with uh, Jessica Chastain and Anthony Hopkins. And we asked him what a cinema screen does for a film that a home screen cannot. And here is his interesting response. I think the best thing about it is the pause button is not available to you. I think the pause button has done incalculable harm to our skill set of maintaining an audience's attention from beginning to end. And when you introduce the home viewing experience and the pause button, as I say, well, it becomes almost like the, the experience of reading a book, right? You pick it up, you put it down, you pick it up, you put it down. But that's not the same art form. The cinema is like a dream. You're hostage in the best sense to the experience. The pause button kills that. That's a really interesting observation. And I have to say, if I'm watching something at home, one of the reasons I enjoy watching things at home or streaming things is for that very reason. I can get up and move around and, and be in the kitchen, et cetera. Um, And I think his point was the cinema industry needs to remind people of the value of that singular experience inside of a theater. I concur hundred percent. Right. I would say it's devastating the fact of watching a good movie at home, particularly for that reason, right? Now, you can call it the pause button. You can say, oh, I'm going to stand up and, and reach out for something, or somebody passes by and interrupt the movie. But all those things takes away that. So many times that, you know, I have also with my kids, and then when there comes a movie out and they're watching it first at the television, that they don't like the movie so much. When they, and i 100% sure they watch it first on the big screen, they say, what a great movie it is, right? And I think it's not just a small and the big screen in size kind of thing, but it's that whole experience around it. Because the fact that you're also sitting out of home, you're sitting in a place where it's not common to stand up and leave the room kind of thing, right? You see the theater, that also makes you tied into that the real story uh, which is brought there. So I, I think he's 200% right on that one. Just about any uh, conversation around the cinema industry, eventually it gets back to the relationship between the studios and the cinema owners. And it's a pretty widely held belief that that is a relationship that's fraught with friction. And over the years, the models had become so calcified that the difficulties there could affect the overall health of the business. And so we mentioned that to Tim Richards from View Cinemas, and he had this comment about a hopeful trend that he saw in that relationship for 2023. Let's hear Tim. What I find really exciting right now is our relationship with the studios is the best it has ever been. Unfortunately, it took a pandemic to do it, but I think it allowed the studios to go out and really trial and test independently what it was like to release their films without cinemas. And I think, you know, what they have found without exception is that they didn't lose tens of millions, they lost hundreds of millions. And the importance of a theatrical release has not changed. So that is really interesting in that Tim's saying during the pandemic, the studios tried some other ideas and found out that the cinema business is a lucrative and highly profitable way to release your content and that they may be better partners because of that. What are your, what are your thoughts? Again, on this one, I, I have to say I'm, I'm fully with, with Tim on this one. Uh, I remember this is in Asia, I think it was, you know, five, six years ago, was one of the last in Asia. And we had a very heated discussion. And this was when I was with some studio officials. And I was, on the other hand, I had some of the exhibitors. And 
and about the window, right? About, oh, we only need to stay long. And then the student said, well, you know, but this marketing campaign, you know, we, we spend all this money, but, but you know, it's cold while, while it gets out, you know, in, in DVDs and streaming and so on. And I think it, it's, it felt for me from guys, you're both sitting on a, on a space of unreasonability, if I may say, right? You call it friction, Tim called it friction. I think I 100% agree with what the pandemic did. It, it allowed the studios to experiment, but it, it also brought them reality sense that, you know, of course, streaming is a business. There's nothing wrong with it. Nobody said it isn't, by the way. But that the, the window and the fact of showing first a movie in a theater is creating more business for them. So in that sense, I think that's, that's definitely something which has helped the industry. Because in the end, we need to have the partnership between the content creators and the exhibition. This cannot be a fight. We talk about data. There's a ton of data which needs to be shared. There's a ton of data which makes us smarter to take decisions on. That only going to be helpful sharing that data, for instance, when they are partners, not when they you know, feel that they're competing with each other. Well, it was brought to my attention this morning by a production team that, in fact, Creed is an Amazon movie because it was made by MGM. And I'm just struck by that fact that this weekend and for the next three weekends, Amazon's going to make a lot of money on Creed being in movie theaters. And I think that's going to be a perfect demonstration of the value of getting your movies in cinemas before they're necessarily streamed. But I think it's great, right? Because I, I, we want the, also the streaming companies to create great content, which by the way, they do, and bring that to, to the, the theaters. So I think this is a, a proof of somebody, you know, like Amazon that says, you know, yes, we're going to do it, and then gets awarded for that uh, with a great box office. So, so great to see. So range of movies, relationship with the studios, and finally, another key aspect that came up in our conversations for a prosperous and healthy business in 2023 came from Miguel Mier, COO of Sinopolis Cinemas. He spoke about what he wants projection and sound technology partners to bring his team. Let's listen to Miguel. Well, we love when they bring us something that is cutting edge, that we can wow audiences with the colors, with the contrasts, with the immersion, because after all, Technology, what does as a tool is to boost human emotions, to align human vision, human experiences and senses, to humanize either the work within Cinepolis or the experience that our customers get out of a movie cinema. When we heard from Tim League at Alamo Drafthouse, from, from Miguel at Sinopolis, we hear from the c- cinema owners that... The difference between the best projection and sound and the and the mediocre projection and sound is the impact it has on the person that has bought the ticket to go in. Their emotions are stronger, et cetera. I know this is near and dear to your heart because your team works all year long on meeting these standards. What are your thoughts about this? It is absolutely true, right? I mean, you have to get, uh, and I think I know I remember Tim Leake saying that also, you need to get the basics right, right? So that's definitely a number one. But then it comes about what, what drives you to this making it special, right? And I think when you can really sit in this unattended situation, watching that story, and it comes at you, and you can sit, feel that you're sitting in the movie, it, it, it jumps off the screen, and you feel the sound coming to you. I mean, that's, that's an emotion which I think is, is making that story much more impactful than, than ever before. We need to make sure that technology keeps on serving that, right? It needs to serve the, the storytelling. We need to give the brushes that the artists, the the content creators can go wild, I would say, on what they want to get out, what emotion they want to have. 
I'm very happy that the industry is supportive of embracing that new technologies and, you know, the team leaks and, and the Mika Mier, so Sinapolis mentioning that, how important it is to the industry. Because I think that in the end, we, we talk about wow and what does wow means, but wow is nothing else than getting emotionally connected to that content. And if it's a horror movie or it's a, a sci-fi movie or it is a family movie, it's a very different one, but that doesn't matter. But for each of them, you need to have that right, that right tone there and technology need to facilitate that. And I think that's, that's what we need to serve uh, to make the industry stronger. And I think we, we pleased to, to be part of that. Well, overall, the combination of all those factors and what we discussed today, this conversation is more hopeful about 2023 than anyone we've had for some time. We've heard people saying, this is what we need. And what I think what we're hearing today is the cinemas are ready. The studios have got the product coming and it feels as if this could be a great, great year. Absolutely. I think that I always said, and, and you know, Paul also mentioned that we need to compare year by year, right? So we need to compare to last year. We're going to grow versus last year. That's a fact of life. Right. And that's, I think, a very good thing. And, and so it means that the business is growing. Getting more attendance is important, right? More content is a fact because you can see it on the slate coming up. But getting more people to the theater, getting them more frequently to the theater, right, is also a good thing. So those are the two parameters I think we're really looking forward to see the outcome of that. But I think we, we, I'm also very bullish about uh, going for a good year and going for a growth year. And if every year we can grow, right, gradually, then you build strong consecutive quarters. And strong consecutive quarters of results means that you're predictable as an industry and that people are willing to invest. And that's what you need. On that hopeful note, we want to uh, close with our quote of the day. It comes from director James Gray, and we ask him why cinema's future is so important. Here's what he said. I think it's the greatest art form that the human race has ever created because it involves all these different types of art, right? Photography and theater and painting and dance and music and all these things go into the cinema. It's matured and become something of beauty faster than any other art form that we've ever created. And we needed it, right? It's inside of us. Thank you, Wim. Thank you, Paul. And thank you all for listening. The Insiders is presented by Cineonic and produced by the Advanced Imaging Society in Hollywood. Our executive producers are Adam Castles in New York and Mike Piltzecker in Los Angeles. Brett Harrison produced today's show, and our technical director is Matthew Bach Lombardo. This is AIS.